0: Uh, Many of you had read chapter 13 of the story. As we go through God's larger story as a church family, the sermons each week will come from the week's reading. Uh, This morning's text is from 1 Kings chapter 8. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Then Solomon said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel." I have provided a place there for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. "'Yet give attention to your servant's prayer "'and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. "'Hear the cry and the prayer "'that your servant is praying in your presence this day. "'May your eyes be opened toward the temple this night and day, "'this place of which you said, "'My name shall be there, "'so that you will hear the prayer "'your servant prays towards this place. "'Hear the supplication of your servant "'and of your people Israel "'when they pray towards this place. "'Hear from heaven your dwelling place, "'and when you hear, forgive.'" The word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, happy New Year, you guys! I had the privilege of going to um, Maui uh, last week with my grandchildren and my son and daughter-in-law, and so we're just getting back. And I will tell you, one of the reasons we went there was to see a professional golf tournament. And I thought I was getting better. <laughs> it was unbelievable. If you've never seen a golf tournament, uh, have y'all seen a golf tournament like been there? God, it was just, it was just amazing to see these people play and then uh, uh, realize that I'll never get to that level. You know, God does not make that kind of promise. Uh, that that I will be a professional golfer, but God does make a lot of really great promises that are much more important, much more important, and that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Let me tell you why I'm excited about uh, being with you, a couple of reasons. Not only is it Happy New Year, but it's also Happy New Decade. So I'd encourage you to start saying Happy New Decade because this really is an awesome time, I believe, in history. And I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that one of the keys to living the Christian life is really understanding the promises of God, both in the daylight and in the dark, Because our God is a God of promises. In fact, the Bible is filled with promises. And when you begin to understand the promises of God, you can, as we're encouraged as Christians, to live by faith. Because when God calls you to live by faith, what he calls you to do is to take him at his word and take a step out, if you will, of the boat. To really step forward into a future that you may not be able to see clearly, trusting that God does and he will see you through it. The promises of God are absolutely essential to know because they do strengthen our faith. And that's what this passage is all about this morning. It it talks about the fact that God is faithful, that he makes promises. And that's the first point, he makes promises. The second point I want to make to you is this, that you'll see here, and that is that the promises God makes are rooted in who God is, his character. The promises God makes are rooted in who God is, His character. And so, consequently, the more you know the character of God, the more you're going to trust the promises of God, and the more you will step out in faith on those promises. And that's the way the Christian life uh, works. Now, if you're not a Christian, let me say this. If you're not a Christian, you've got to understand, too, that God makes promises. The ultimate promise for you that, that you need to hear that is this believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved you'll have new life you'll be saved from all that's wrong and ultimately all things will be right including you but it really it's a promise of salvation but it calls for an act of faith in trusting in the lord jesus And that's why these promises are so very important. Now, let me say something else. When you access that first promise of salvation in the Lord Jesus, the walk of faith is getting to know all the other promises of God and really trusting those promises for your life and then moving forward and watching what God does with your life. And I think it's always appropriate when you think about uh, the first Sunday of a new year, we're all thinking about, perhaps you're thinking about goals. You know, when I show up at the Y tomorrow, guess what's going to happen? Right, I won't be able to get in. And that'll last for about a month. Don't be one of those people! Show up if you're going to show up. The walk of faith is, is, is a continuous walk. It's a pressing on, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Now, let me give you the context here. The people of God have been wandering for a long time. They've ultimately, they were wandering for 40 years. They ultimately ended up in the promised land, and through a process, it took a while, they ultimately conquered the land. And when they conquered the land, God saw that they needed a central leader. They needed a really strong leader. And so God uh, uh, raised up leaders for them. Ultimately, he raised up a man after his own heart, King David. David said, God, I want to build you a temple. Uh, God said to David, David, I know you're a man after my own heart, but I want your son Solomon, whom I'm promised to you. I want him to build me the temple. And Solomon, in fact, builds God this temple. And there's a ceremony here. It's a ceremony of dedication. What's happening here is Solomon's praying to the Lord and thanking the Lord for the fact that God has kept his promises. And now there's a temple here and God's to dwell here. And God's dwelling here because now the land is at rest, if you will. The people of God have found rest because God is in their midst. And that's what this passage is all about. So let's jump in. And look with me first at this idea of the fact that God makes and he keeps promises. If you look at verse 16 and verse 20, you'll see right off the bat what God does. Notice he says, since the day I brought, you, uh, brought, uh, I brought my people out of Egypt, I've not chosen a city or a tribe to have a temple built so that my name might not be there, but I've chosen David to rule my people Israel. So he chose David. He promised that he would raise up a man after God's own heart, and so he chose David. And then ultimately, he also raises up Solomon. Look at verse 19. It says, nevertheless, you're not the one, David, to build my temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. He's the one who will build my temple. So he makes that promise to David. David. And so what you see here right off the bat is God is a God who makes promises and he keeps promises. Because if you ever really want to experience an intimate relationship with a living God, you've got to learn that you can take God at his word. You've got to learn that. And in these days, men and women, there will be so many people that tell you different things. There'll be so many people who who claim truth. There will be so many people who say, don't trust the word of God. And when they say, don't trust the word of God, they're saying that you can't trust the promises of God. You guys, this has really happened in this town too. A lot of people have told me recently that they've been having trouble with the the Old Testament. And the Old Testament has a lot of hard things in it, men and women, but the Old Testament is no less the word of God than the Newer Testament. In fact, the Old Testament is so powerful because it's 78% of the Bible. And you'll see so many times in there that God makes a promise and he keeps a promise. And when you see that God, a God who promises and then keeps that promise, you know God will keep his promises to you. And that's what the Christian life is all about. And let me tell you something. Some of the promises God makes, some of the things that God says, some of the challenges that God calls us to are not easy things. And in this day, you can go places And hear what you want to hear. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You do not need to go to a place where they tell you what you want to hear. You don't. And let me tell you this. A guy like me who does this for a living, I cannot tell you how tempting it is to figure out what you want to hear so that they'll be in every seat. I'm, I'm serious. It's a temptation. And it's wrong. Let me tell you why. The promises of God are better than what you think you may want to hear. They're better. They really are. They're better for you. They're life-giving. They're transformational. And they're always spoken in love because God always speaks His truth in love, just as we're exhorted to do. We need to know the promises of God because if a trumpet does not sound a clear call, who's going to get ready for battle? Men and women, we can't step out into the sort of life of faith. God, we can't step out. Into the sort of life of faith that God is calling us to step out to, unless we really trust what God promises, i.e., to take care of us. And those promises come from the very mouth of Jesus most clearly. And I love the way God the Father says this about His own Son. There was a bright cloud that covered them, and the voice from the cloud said, and this is God the Father talking about his son. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then he says this, listen to him. Why? Because when Jesus speaks, he makes promises. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many people in this room really need genuine rest? I will give you rest. That's a promise. He says, come to me. Do you know why he says come to me? Because we go so often to the wrong things to find rest. Like I go to my work for validation. Like I go to my investments for validation. But we'll never find rest there. When Jesus says, build your house on a rock, he's really saying, build your house on me. And that's the promise of God. Now, let me say something about the promises of God. A precious young lady walked in here and she said, I hope you have a wonderful 2020, which I so appreciated, by the way, Chrissy. Um, But you know what? I don't know what my 2020 is going to be, and neither do you, do you? In fact, in a room like this, some of us are going to pass away. There's going to be darkness. And what good are the promises of God? Y'all, I love, one of the things I get to do, I love to go to Colorado in the summer, let me tell you why. The place I go is about 7,000 feet up. And when you look up in the sky, it's out in the sticks. And this is the Colorado sticks, which is even further out in the sticks than the Alabama sticks. And so you can see the Milky Way. And if you don't know what the Milky Way is, it's a galaxy that you live in right now and we are in the midst of. So that's where you are in case you didn't know. Google it and you will see. there's the Milky Way it was all across the, the sky. And then here's the, the cool thing. I could see, naked eye, those of you who are astronomers, the Andromeda galaxy. Naked eye could see it. And it was absolutely incredible. Now, let me tell you what's so awesome. The n- night sky is not beautiful because it's dark and it's black. It's because it has all these pinpoints of light that we see. And do you know what? Those pinpoints of light in the dark are like the promises of God in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I want to recommend a book. If you have one book to read in 2020, read the Bible. Did I get you? Did I get you? Who'd I get? Did I get Anybody? Would anybody? Okay, good. Thank you, Jim, for fessing up. (laughs) The second book I would encourage you to read, Promises in the Dark, Eric McLaughlin. Has anybody read this? For the life of me, I can't remember who recommended this to me, um, but um, Alyssa Feaster, who's a missionary from this church, her colleague, Eric, works with her in Burundi. This is an outstanding book. Scotty recommends it on the back. So, I've I've read it, and it's just so encouraging. He's the one that talks about the promises of God being pinpoints of light in the dark. You guys, there's going to be a time where you feel like you're in Cumberland Caverns. And you know what I mean if you've been there, where you cannot see the hand in front of your face. And you're going to need the promises of God, and they will shine brilliantly like stars in the universe. And God's promise will safely see you through stormy seas because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. And you have got to know in this decade that God keeps his promises or you'll never be able to press on. You will never be able to press on unless you believe the promises of God and really begin to take Him in His Word. Because as I've said before, when you read the Bible, what you see over and over and over again is a God who makes a promise and a God who keeps a promise. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, faith comes by hearing God's Word. Because when you regularly get into God's Word, you're seeing a God who makes a promise and keeps a promise. And when you see that regularly play, pray played out you know that God is faithful and then when God makes a promise to you you know you can step out of the boat you can step out of the boat because so often you guys and I got to tell you this when you begin to understand the promises of God some of them look, look in, insane and they're, they're hard and how do you lay hold of them and I'll give you a few examples as we close here in just a few minutes but, but, but the only way to really press on is really to know that God is faithful. And the way you know God is faithful is you read. You read God's word because faith comes by hearing the word. And let me tell you this about God's promises too. God's promises are a matter of time, but here's the problem. It's God's timing. Listen, let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever handed God a schedule? Have you ever done that before? Have you done it twice? I would encourage you to learn the first time. That is very unwise. It really is, to hand him a schedule. You know, not that he's going to punish you with it, but he does laugh and deals with you appropriately. But let know this, (laughs) know this, know this about, about my schedule and his. His plan and his timing are always perfect, always. And we can trust him because he's faithful. And when we really seek to live out the promises of God, we've got to trust that God's on his timetable. So I want to ask you a question, and then I'll really press in later. What are the promises of God that are going to sustain you for 2020? What are the promises of God that are going to sustain you for 2020? Have you thought about that? And as I said, the only way to learn to walk in faith is to really know the promises of God. And so you've got to think about where do you plan to step out in faith in 2020? Men and women, I want to tell you, as a follower of Jesus, God does not want you to play it safe. God does not want you to play it safe. A life of faith is not a life of personal safety. It's a life of breathless expectation. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said. To be certain of God means that we're uncertain of all our ways. We don't know what a day might bring forth. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be said with an expression of breathless expectation. Why? Because God promises to care for us, to take care of us. Now, the promises of God are ultimately rooted in the character of God. So if you're really going to live out of the promises of God, you really need to know the character of God. That's really key. Look at verse 23. I love this. He says, There is no God like you. That's what Jesus wants to be for you. Solomon, in such... Joy, recognition, and worship says, there is no God like you. And that's the sort of passion that God wants us to have when we have relationship with him. Our brother Scotty, who writes prayers, wrote a great prayer about being bored. Men and women, Jesus didn't call us to a life of boredom and he didn't call us to a life of video games. He called us to not watch other people live life, but to live life to its fullest, and that doesn't mean to live life to its most comfortable, because that's not a life of faith, living out of the promises of God. But you'll never be able to do that until you're able to say there is no God like you. And another great book that I exhort you to read in 2020 is Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. And that would I would read that and then this, okay? But read them both. You could probably get through two books this year, I'm sure, if you'll put your mind to it. And Tr- Delighting in the Trinity is even smaller than this, okay? It talks about the character of God. And in summary, the character of God is, uh, is uh, revealed when the Apostle John says, God is love. And if, we're, if we were to summarize God, that would be the summary. God is love. Everything else really comes under that heading, if you will. And that's knowing the character of God. And if God is love and you're trusting God, that means God loves you. And when God makes a promise, you know that he loves you. And if he loves you and he makes a promise, what do you think He might do with that promise? Well, keep it. For example, oh, on on his time because he loves you, which means he and he's God and he knows better than me. And so, knowing God is essential. Another great book is Jay Packer, "Knowing God." That's a, a, a oldie but goodie. Look at verse twenty-three: "You keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way." And that used to discourage me, but men and women, that's not a that's not a call to say that God keeps his promises for those of us who who think we're perfect or, 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 or keep, you know, we're perfect. And so, therefore, God keeps his promises. No, what it means is we're a people who are desperately trusting God's promise. It's not perfection. It's desperation. It's David being called a man after God's own heart. The same David who commits adultery with Bathsheba and then kills her husband and then tries to cover it up. And then he writes Psalm 51. Why? Because he's desperate for God, because he knows how bad he is. And so when he says here, you keep your covenant of love for those who are wholehearted, it means we're wholeheartedly recognizing how much we need God and his promises. That's all that means. That's all that means. Think of the apostle Peter. The guys are out in the boat. And if you don't know the Bible, one of the things I really want you to understand: if if there's Jesus in a boat, you don't want to be around, because generally something happens that will really stretch you. <laughs> you know, think about it. Jesus, boat, guys, somebody's faith is built. Okay, so they're all out in the boat, and Jesus comes up walking on the water, and Peter looks at him and says, "Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come to you. Tell tell me to come to you. And here's what he's saying: if that's really you." I know your character. If that's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come to me. And so what does Peter do? Well, he walks on water. Why? Because he's trusting the promises of God and he knows the character of God. Then what happens? Well, he takes his eyes off the character of God. He takes his eyes off Jesus, starts looking at his personal circumstances. He starts sinking. And what does he do? He says, help. And it was a wholehearted help by the way, and Jesus takes him by the hand, and then, after he saves him, says, you had just a little bit of faith, didn't you, but in taking him by his hand, he strengthened that little mustard seed, you step out on the promises of God, God's going to prove faithful, man, why, because the character of God is God is faithful. God is loving. You step out on those promises, he's going to be faithful to you. Look at verse 27. I like like this, the way Solomon says it. God, but will God really dwell on earth? Solomon's built this incredible temple, and he looks at it, and he knows that God has promised to dwell here, but he, he realizes how much more awesome God really is. Remember, there's no God like you. And though he's built this magnificent temple, he realizes that there's no God like God. He can't fit into this temple. There's no way he can fit into this temple. How many of you have boxed God up? And you've got him right where you want him? I preached a sermon about four years ago. I called it Pocket Jesus. Pocket Jesus. Anybody remember that? You remember Pocket Jesus? It's like, like a little toy. You can pull him out when you want to look at him. And then when you don't want him to see what you're doing, you stick him back in your pocket. You can do what you want to do. Pocket Jesus doesn't work. And legitimately here, Solomon says, God, will God really dwell on earth? And then he goes on, look at this 28. Yet you give attention to my prayer. You hear my cry and my prayer. May your eyes be open to this temple so you will hear our prayers. And then look at verse 30. Hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray. Forgive! So what's he doing? He's recognizing something very, very profound. He's recognizing that he wants intimacy with the living God. He wants to communicate with the living God. He wants to know that God hears him. And the way he knows that God hears him is he wants to know that if God will forgive him for his sins. He's in desperation. He wants to know if God forgives him. And the basis of their, their relationship is not what Solomon can do, but rather who God is. Those of you in the room who are not Christians, I want you to listen carefully. You do not become a Christian by obeying the Ten Commandments. Let me say it again. Those of you in the room who are not Christians, you know who you are, or maybe you don't, but you do not become a Christian by obeying the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you why. You ready? You can't do it. You just can't do it. You know, why don't you make it a New Year's resolution? Just try it. I promise the sun won't set today before you'll break something. The way you become a Christian is you first recognize you just can't do it. You got to come to the end of yourself before you'll ever trust the promise of God. Because if you don't come... To the end of yourself, you don't need the promise of God. Now watch what happens here. This is really powerful. Okay, look what happens. Forgive. And see what it says here. May your eyes be open to this temple 28 again, so that you'll hear our prayers. What does God see when He sees the temple? Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Old Testament. What happens in the temple is the people of God are taught to sacrifice animals for their sin, summarized in the Day of Atonement. And this whole sacrificial system, if you read it carefully, it's designed to teach the people several things. Number one, that God will provide a substitute who will, in the place of the worshiper, die for their sins. There's a substitute. The second thing the sacrificial system teaches is: are you ready for this? Animals do not work. They don't. Do you know in dedication to this temple how many animals Solomon sacrificed? Are you ready? A hundred and twenty thousand. You talk about a bloodbath, and not one of them worked. So what does God see when he sees the temple? He doesn't see those animal sacrifices. He sees what those animal sacrifices point to. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, thereby saying that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. When Jesus died on the cross, he fully where we belonged, paid the penalty for sins of anybody who will believe in him. He fully endured the wrath of God. He said it was finished because his death on the cross was a sacrificial and fully satisfying atonement for sins for anybody who would believe in him. And that's the promise of God. Are you ready? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the ultimate promise. Why? Why is it the ultimate promise? Can I tell you why it's the ultimate promise? Listen to me. Listen. Because that promise costs God everything. And God kept it even when it hurt. Psalm 15. And so, Paul writes, no matter how many other promises God has made, made, they're all yes in Jesus. They're all yes in Jesus. Every other promise. Why? Because it's a lesser promise. And so what do we have? Listen to some of the lesser promises, okay? I want to listen to these, all right? You ready? How about this one? Ah, y'all have, ah, got too many. Okay, hang on. You ready for the lesser promise? How many people in here need prayer for guidance for this decade? Prayer for guidance. Okay, good. That was always start there because we all need guidance. And if you don't think you need guidance, you need it especially. So listen. Okay, prayer for guidance. Listen to this. Here's the promise for you, okay? I'm going to teach you how to access the promises of God. Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Lean not on your own understanding. Now, what that means, lean not on your own understanding means quit trying to figure it out yourself. Lean not on your own understanding. If you trust the Lord with all your heart, you don't have to figure things out. God will do things that you can't even think about. In all your ways, submit to him. In other words, obedience to him. First, commit. God, I'm all in it with you. No matter what you do, guide me. The last thing God wants you to do is You to tell him what you want him to to do for you. Don't hand him the plan. Don't do that. Because your plans are always smaller than his plans. And so trust in him. And he will make your path straight. He'll show you. He promises to show you. How about this one here? Okay. Here's another one. How many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you want to see God make a real change in your life in, in, in this year? A real change. There's something in your life that's got you by the throat and you want God to change it. How many? Okay, me too, Paula. I'm right with you. Can I tell you mine? Just, okay, mine is pride. Y'all, I am eaten up with pride like a cancer. And my, 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 my pose is false humility. Okay? Now, I don't know what yours is, what your deal is, but I want God to deliver me of pride. Here's how you handle that. You ready? What would it really look like, Lord, for me to become more like Jesus? Listen to what God promises. Listen, listen to this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now, what does humble yourself mean? Well, humble yourself doesn't mean to try to pretend to be humble. That is not what humble yourself means. Humble yourself means, I'm really prideful and I can't deal with this. Can you treat your own cancer? And so, to humble yourself says, God, you got to do this. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and listen to this. And he will lift you up in due time. And look at it. He will lift you up in due time. In other words, you don't have to elevate yourself. And if I could remind you, when God elevates you, it's to heights and to places and to views that are going to blow your mind. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And how about this last one? I want you to expect an email from me in the next few weeks. Some exciting things have already happened. In fact, one thing has happened that I'm about to pop with, which I wish I could talk about, but it's probably better that I send you an email. So the next email you get from me, ain't going to ask you for anything, if you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> I'm sick of that asking, okay? <laughs> you just need to go to a place you can invest yourself, Okay? okay? But you're going to get an email from me because I want to share with you uh, some things God has already done and some of the things I believe God will be doing He's calling us forward as a church, okay? But we're in the story because we need you. You're a part of the story. You are a part of the story here. This is not my story. This is not your story. This is God's story, and we get parts in it. And so here's the promise of God. Are you ready for it? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so there we go. And that's right after the verse that Jesus says, hey, everybody's harassed and helpless. They're like, with, like sheep without a shepherd. You, men and women, we are leaderless in this country. You, you see it, we're leaderless. We're rudderless and we're leaderless. For goodness sakes. And Jesus is a shepherd. And so what God's calling us to do is to be workers in in this incredible harvest field of which Jesus is the harvester. And so we're going to step out as a church and I want to invite you to do that with me and I'll give you some very specific ways to do that. Men and women, and why? Why can we do it? Because every promise that God makes, the promise to lead you, the promise to grow you, The promise to comfort you. The promise to provide for you. Those all those promises are yes. They're yes in Christ Jesus.